This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, joined by the full crew, David Brady and Jordan. Today, we're going to be breaking down Georgia State's 76-65 victory over Charlotte, as well as previewing uh, the next game on the men's basketball schedule uh, coming up December 16th hosting the Mercer Bears in a revenge game, hopefully. And then we're going to have a special meeting of the minds of the Georgia State community with uh, a collaboration between the Thursday Night Podcast, the State of Atlanta Podcast, and Ben Moore of PantherTalk.com. That'll be coming up later in the show. But first, let's break down what went down in Georgia State's 76-65 victory over Charlotte. Jordan, take it away. So this game was a little bit of a back and forth for most of the first half and second half. Uh, Toward the end of the game, Charlotte did take a 57-55 lead with 6 minutes and 12 seconds remaining and did not make another basket from the floor. Georgia State would then go on a 10-0 run to take a 68-59 lead and wouldn't relent, holding uncomfortably 76-65. King Williams led the Panthers with 21 points. JoJo Toppin with 16 points also went 5-for-5, 6-for-6 from the three-throw line. Corey Allen with 14 points. Kane and Corey with four threes piece team defense in the second half charlotte shot 26 percent uh, field goals two of ten from three it's the first time the panthers won at charlotte i believe in program history what are our key takeaways from the game anything uh, of note we want to hit on I, my first thing is the emergence of jojo toppin uh, when we heard, you know, the offseason, he had the interview where he was talking about his goal was being the Sunbelt Defensive Player of the season. And the guy who showed up in Charlotte was a guy who profiled that way. He really set the tone on defense. And on offense, he was doing what worked for him and played to his skill set and shot perfect from the floor, shot perfect from free throw line, and really was one of the key contributors to the win. And especially in the second half when the defense just went on total lockdown mode. And so I think for me watching the first couple games, I was thinking, you know, we've seen this before with transfers where sometimes after sitting out a year, they take a little while to get going, but that was an encouraging step to see from him. And, you know, maybe the time it takes for him to find his feet won't be as long as maybe the first couple of games indicated. I'll kind of go a little bit bigger picture, um, but I'll include, you know, what Brady said, because I think with the absence of Nelson Phillips this year, coach Lanier is going to have to lean more on the new guys. And I just think through the first four games that both the transfers and the actual freshmen have been phenomenal for Georgia state. And, you know, it's becoming increasingly clear that minutes are going to need to be found for guys like Evan Johnson, Colin Moore, um, as well as Jojo Toppin, obviously, because the guard depth for Georgia state, you know, you lose probably your, one of your best on ball defenders, you know, in Phillips before the season starts. And I just, I can't say that Georgia state's guards have skipped a beat in terms of defensive intensity um, and just kind of the, backup offense rotation behind, you know, Kane Williams and uh, Justin Roberts. When those two haven't been on, you've had guys like Toppin and Johnson and Moore all find, you know, two, three baskets at a time. And that has really helped propel Georgia State. And that's exactly what happened against Charlotte. Yeah, propel is a good word just because at the end of the game, 
all the upward momentum was Georgia State's way. And they sort of put their stamp on the game. Watching it on YouTube, you could tell when something big happened that the bench just erupted. Like it was just a cacophonous noise from the bench whenever there was a breakaway dunk or anything. And it felt like the most energetic game from Georgia State this year especially in the second half. It just felt like they had all the energy. They were making the plays. Um, and specifically, I, I want to highlight one play. Um, I had mentioned this off uh, podcast. Uh, the steal by Toppin passed to Evan Johnson, who passed it to Colin Moore streaking for a dunk to put it to 68-59. I love that play because that's three first-year players in this system it was all about the effort for Toppin to get the steal laid out to keep control of it and then turn around passes to Johnson and both the freshmen making good basketball, basketball instinctive plays. And that's just culture to me, culture in that they've got the right mentality when they're in the game. And also just that you're starting to see even the guys who haven't played that much in the system are playing the way the coach of the near wants them to be playing. And so I just wanted to shout out that play. I love that play. I thought it symbolized so much about where this team can go. And so that's, that's my thing there. And I'm, I'm so glad you use that word culture specifically because coach Lanier, uh, you know, before the season, he mentioned that Georgia state is trying to, you know, continue to build that culture. And when you have a coach going into the second year of, you know, their era, what have you, you know, he, he mentioned how, guys kind of know a little bit more what's expected of them, you know, but if you look at this Georgia state team, there's a lot of new faces. And yet through those first four games, it doesn't even appear that there's any sort of chemistry dip. You know, these new guys have all acclimated themselves very well, you know, so Sammy didn't have a great game, but he, you know, moved his responsibilities to being that big and getting rebounds instead of scoring, you know, but we've already seen what he does. He can do when he is being that offensive weapon, you know, and I think Kane has had not, I wouldn't call it an up and down season yet because it's been four games, but he has struggled at times. And so what has the team done around him? You've had new guys step up. You've had Roberts also step up, you know, and then now you have a game where Kane is back to being, okay, yeah, I'm probably one of the better players in the Sun Belt. I can still do this, you know, and you, at those moments, you have guys kind of step away and let Kane kind of do his thing. And all of that, as you said, all that is culture. And other things that just contribute to success for Georgia state uh, on the night, they ended up with 19 assists to just eight turnovers and had 11 steals on defense. And there's not many nights where Georgia state does those things, which are largely in their control where they're going to lose that game. If they're that good at distributing the ball. And I thought the offense was, you know, miles better than against Mercer as far as what they were running and that they were getting good looks and that they were getting second chance points and finding guys open off of offensive rebounds. They weren't turning the ball over, which is also a problem against Mercer and they were active on defense, which is basically a constant uh, with the turnovers, but getting up to 11 big number got some chances, especially a lot of those turnovers were late in the game. Um, those that combination of things, it's stuff that Georgia State, with the guards that they have, with the defense that they play, 
those are all easily you can have numbers that look like that every game and it's just about going out and performing like that and they certainly did that last friday and I think, you know, Charlotte was a good test um, for Georgia State um, because especially coming off the Mercer loss and, you know, just with the way that the game went, you know, being down by four at halftime, you know, kind of still getting into that offensive rhythm in the second half. You really, as you said, you just saw Georgia State's defense come alive and dr- largely be the reason that Charlotte was held without a field goal for the last six minutes. Yeah, and we've talked about it, I think, a few times now that right now Georgia State's without Jalen Thomas for the foreseeable future, without Joe Jones. Um, The sooner they get back, I think that would be a key to getting LAL a little more back to what the offense was in the first couple games. I I think I I said this also off uh, podcast that I think the first game might have confused us in thinking that LAL was like peak Tim Duncan, and that might not be the case. Uh, but that's also, you know, Tim Duncan's one of the best of all time. Uh, but I think that he doesn't have another big to help him out on the offensive side and kind of change the way the spacing is and take away the attention. Because he's the guy they got to stop on rebounds. They got to make sure that Eliel's taken care of on rebounds. And sometimes his second chances haven't been there recently because he's been the only one in the rotation. But I think a positive from not having those two guys is that it's been the situations where you've had the freshmen in crunch time situations, or you've had Jojo top and in crunch time situations. And those guys should be back before the end of the year. So it's not a situation where you're going to have young freshmen always in situations. But I think that them being in late game situations can only be a positive for their growth. And it's not a situation where last year where maybe, the freshmen had to be in most of the year and after a while wore down because they were playing such long minutes. But these freshmen, once the rotations kind of settle and once the injuries kind of go away and you start to have more of your full rotation, they'll go back to playing smaller roles and they're not going to necessarily have as much of the wear and tear, but they'll have had that experience right now of playing in these games. Yeah. And that can only help them. You know, those free throws that Colin Moore hit against Georgia tech that can only help him. So now thinking back comparatively to our last game against uh, the Mercer bears, did what we saw from the Panthers this past game against Charlotte tell you anything about the level of preparation or maybe uh, some of the issues that plagued them during the Mercer loss um, might be, you know, remedied, um, you know, approaching this next game uh, where they are visiting Georgia State? Well, Taylor, that question segues perfectly into Tools of the Game, our weekly segment where we break down an upcoming matchup to reveal our thoughts about what both the Panthers and their opponent will need to do to win the game. This week's matchup is the Mercer Bears return to the sports arena after the Panthers traveled to Macon earlier this season. Tools of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010, and now Thursday night podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. Yeah, I think 
like I said in talking about the Charlotte game, the difference on offense was just so tangible. And so I think with the rest, take the rest as a positive. Don't forget what running your offense looked like in the Charlotte game and replicate that. And especially being at home, I think that's the difference for Georgia State. The the tool would just be more running the offense. Sort of what I said for the Charlotte game when we did this last podcast, but it's it worked. <laughs> that that was what worked on offense. And so I guess I'm cribbing myself from last time, but if the offensive efficiency is there, if they're making the extra pass, if they are not just taking the first open look, I think that Georgia State will win in the friendly confines of the third floor. I think the play of the bigs will be very important um, in the rematch. And when I say the bigs, I mean the Mercer bigs. Um, I think largely that's where they killed Georgia State, even though the Georgia State's offense wasn't really doing a ton. Um I just think that they were out rebounding them and the space was phenomenal. And when Aleel has to be the only big man under the block for Georgia state, if there are actually larger guys going up against him, they obviously will have the height advantage. Um, if Jalen Thomas or Joe Jones comes back, that's not going to be as big of an issue. Um, and so as long as there is another body there, so Aleel can kind of go and live on that weak side. I think that will help with the spacing a little bit. Um, I have noticed personally that Aleel's kind of, clogging the lane just a little bit um, on drives, but I think that's more so because he feels he needs to be that rebounding presence. Um, And also I'll say Georgia state played what three, four games in like a five, six like day span. They'll have like over a week off for this rematch. They should be rested and, you know, very ready to play Mercer. So now let's uh, go over to part one of our Georgia State football roundtable with David and Tim of the State of Atlanta podcast and Ben Moore of PantherTalk.com. Brady and I had a good time talking to the guys about the state of the football program and what we see coming up in the future for the Panthers. So let's go to that right now. So our expectations have been that we want to have a winning season and we want to go to a bowl game. Like that's if we do those two things, then that is considered, you know, a, a good year for Georgia State. Like that's what we should expect to happen. Nothing less. Well, somehow we have a winning record and it looks like we're in good chance of going to a bowl game, but it feels like we still missed out on something this year. And it's really weird year. Like it's not good enough with uh, the four losses that we had. Um Am I just expecting too much or am I right that, you know, we did still missed out on having a, a better year than we, what we really should have. I think there's two tracks. I think that there were some losses that could have easily been wins. I think the Louisiana loss could have been a win, could have hung on against app state. But I think if you look at it, big picture, looking at where this program has been, going to a bowl, likely going to a bowl and having winning seasons, three of the four last four years, that is a step up in trajectory from the doldrums of where the program had been years before. So I think it's definitely reasonable for fans to want more and to want, especially when you see a team like coastal have a really good year, it's really easy to pine and be like, I want this bad. But if you have the two tracks, if you can say, I want that, but also this was still a success with a red shirt freshman quarterback, that's where I would be at. Yeah, I think that part of it is um, having the history that we have. Uh, it's so easy to forget that, you know, this actually is 
successful season for us because you just want so much more out of it. I guess that's where I'm coming from. It's having to remind myself that really this was an improvement, a step forward for the program. I think for me, the biggest thing is getting off the roller coaster we were always on, right? We always have an up year, a down year, an up year, a down year. Well, this year we finally stayed off the, we got off the roller coaster. We didn't have a down year, right? So to me, that's a positive. Hopefully we continue to build on that and maintain consistency, you know, coming into next year's season. And the biggest thing to keep in mind is every single senior is eligible to come back. And I've had conversations with multiple guys on, on the offensive side of the ball. And I would not be shocked if every single offensive player is back, um, save maybe Shamarius Gilmore, who's draft eligible prospect. So you, you're going to have that natural growth. If you do get a spring practice in and some winter workouts as well, um, you know, you do have potential for that next leapfrog, you know, um, uh, you know, as Brady kind of mentioned, you had multiple games there where you haven't been competitive in a place like App State where you came away, you know, quite honestly disappointed that you didn't win the game. Um, you know, Quad Brown played probably his worst game he's ever played, uh, probably going back to rec league football. So, um, you know, that that gives you, you know, some solace there to, to build and, and knowing uh, as well, you know, you have a signing signing period that opens up in about nine days. Well, actually, Ben, that's a question I was going to ask you about with this whole year of uh, eligibility going on additional year. That's great. But also, do we have room on the chart to keep these guys around the, the scholarships available to keep these guys on for another year? Yeah, they don't want to go more than 85. Um, I think naturally you're going to see some attrition regardless. Guys that did not even dress. I mean, There's quite a few folks that didn't dress that were, you know, that will uh, have an opportunity to move on. Um, you know, with that being said, you may also have some folks who want to come back who the coaches may not want back. So you'll have some roster management that may occur. Um, there's already some prospects basically that have kind of shaken loose, uh, as we kind of predicted really in, in early, early, uh, fall, you're going to have a decommit season, uh, guys who are power five prospects who are now, um, you know, finding themselves stuck, you know, not, not knowing where they can, co- where they can go and, um, you've got, uh, I believe, a former Mississippi State pr- uh, prospect that the coaches, coaching staff is talking to hot and heavy. Um, you're going to have people, which inevitably happens every December, um, guys either don't make grades, guys, you know, slip slip a little bit, senior film drops a little bit. Uh, you have an opportunity to go and land those guys that you didn't think were available. Um, just just even on our, our site today, you had a five-star cornerback with his uh, – his aunt with a Georgia state hat on, they got people excited. Um, he is committing tomorrow. Uh, I don't expect him to choose Georgia state, but the fact that uh, a five-star prospect out of Metro Atlanta, uh, his family member is wearing a Georgia state hat amongst uh, major power fives is, is certainly a, uh, you know, a highlight uh, for the week for sure. Yeah. It'd be interesting, I guess, you know, cause you know, obviously that's not just for Georgia state, everybody in the conference will be able to have those seniors come back. So it could be a, very interesting uh, season next year across the board. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I mean, you have guys like, you know, Levi Lewis from Louisiana have already announced they're coming back. Um, you have some, some folks who are going to have to make those decisions. Do you actually want to play football again? You know, that's, that's the other side. You've got guys um, and coaches that have to realize, hey, should we move on from a senior um, just to open that window up? Um, what you got going down in Statesboro? I mean, Justin Tomlin goes and, and you know leads Southern up two consecutive wins last weekend over FAU and this weekend over Rival App State. You know, do you want Shy Works back? Does Shy have an opportunity where he wants to continue to play? Um, you know, he 
may want to go to, you know, to another program. He is from the state of South Carolina, so he could transfer to an FCS school and play in the spring. So there's a lot of options for these guys. They've got to figure it out. There's going to be a lot of hard conversations, certainly around the conference and around uh, college football too. I guess um, general question, good or bad, is there any one moment that stands out to you from this season that you'll just remember from the 2020 season? I'm so drunk during games. I actually have to go back and look at the box score the next day to know what actually happened in there. There are some uh, fleeting images that race across my brain of things I did see. Uh, most of those actually come from the uh, Southern game because I did go back and rewatch that one the next day uh, as well. But yeah, uh, I mean, that game in itself, that's always the big one on the schedule, the schedule every single season. So get forcing a couple of turnovers there and, you know, taking the lead, the lead late in this uh, game. That's probably what, if you ask me what I remember that, and just really overpowering ECU throughout the entire course of the game. That was just a fun, exciting game to start off the season and really, you know, just like Georgia state, get your hopes up uh, for uh, what the season could be. And then obviously you have to play all the games and they come out the way they come out. So yeah, I think for me, I'll, I'll name two items. Um, one, competing with App. Like every year, we haven't competed with them at all. This year, we had a chance to win, right? So that's kind of big for the school overall. And then for me, an asterisk or a down thing would be Coastal, man, getting just thrashed by them, not even scoring. I mean, granted, one of them was doing, uh, field goal was doinked off the upright, but still, like, that's just a, huge question mark in my head. How did that happen? Not even score. I mean, other teams that are worse than us scored multiple times. That's just, yeah. Question mark. How about you, Brady? Yeah, I think Southern is the obvious one. Uh, it was most recent, so it's fresh in the mind, but also just anytime you win against a rival, especially in the season where there wasn't any one of those like really signature wins. Like if Georgia state beats app in Boone, that's the story. If they hold on against a ranked team in their own stadium in Louisiana, that's the story. And none of those really happened, but I'd say that that game also just because it kind of symboled the kind of the turning that happened in the end of the year, where after that app loss, the last two games, the team closed out strong. And that's been the real, point of what needed to be improved, even in the good years in, uh, the coach Elliott era. So I think that just the part of it being the Georgia Southern win over arrival, but also what it looked like and how it was the fourth quarter just took over the game. Another thing I think I'll remember from this season as well is just that shootout against Arkansas state. You know, it didn't end in our favor at the end, but what was it? You know, both teams scored in the fifties or something like that. 59 52. Yeah. Yeah. That's just an absolute ridiculous score. And, uh, you know, defense wins championships, uh, offense fills the stands, but, uh, that was just a fun game to watch just to see the offense just clicking like it was against uh, an inferior team. It just sucks that that was the, the game that our, I don't know. Is that the game where our defense didn't show up or was the coastal game with the defense and show up? Which one is worse, which is a bit worse defensive performance. I think Arkansas state because Coastal, the offense also had one of their worst games. And it was one of those things where both sides fed the other and it was just a real mess. Whereas the offense was really good against Arkansas State. They put up 52 points. Um, I can't remember the yardages off the top of my head, but, you know, Quad had a good game. The rushing game had a good game. And just, I don't know what it was. Uh, those two, especially with how the defense ended the year, seemed like the anomaly for the defense which is nice to say because other years it's been like the anomaly has been where the defense has had the great game. 
Um, but that was weird just because they're good, but there were just too many busts happening that game. They're good. They're offensively, Arkansas State is good. I don't, I guess, on, as a team, maybe less so. That loss is yeah, looking great. <laughs> yeah, they fired their defense coordinator immediately after, and I don't, I don't believe won another game after that. Uh, save, uh, no, I didn't think they just won last weekend, so that's that's one win. So uh, we, we kind of broke Arkansas State uh, after that game, but uh, but no, I, I think you know my my enduring, uh, I will say is you know I was highly critical and very nervous about how well the defense was going to progress, and I think there's definitely playmakers that have emerged in in a major way. Um, you know, Jordan Strawn. Uh, having, you know, basically I think second in the nation in sacks right now, which is just something that I would have never, ever predicted uh, shows the kind of his growth uh, and Tavius Lane with an all freshman, you know, league um, caliber season and missed the, the final few games. And, and as Brady mentioned, I mean, just the way the defense has really clamped down uh, the final three weeks of the season uh, to allow that momentum to be built and, and certainly uh, looking forward to seeing that effort, you know, translate into a bowl game as well. Did something click with the players? Did were there scheme tweaks um, and things like that? I know Coach Elliott mentioned it, you know, in, in press conferences and things like that, saying, "Hey, look, we see this effort in practice and just wasn't translating in games." So um, maybe something finally clicked, and you know, you have that next step where you can have a dominant defense here uh, for for a change since we've been uh, FBS. I think it's a perfect question. Uh, one, should Fuquay come back? And two, will Fuquay come back? And they could be opposing answers, I guess. <laughs> what do you think, Ben? Um, I think it's, you know, it, I'm, I'm torn because, you know, the biggest thing that I look at now is how it affects recruiting. Uh, anytime you make a change with a coordinator, you have to have somebody step in that role. Uh, you have to have somebody who's, you know, familiar with play calling. Uh, we saw that. That was one of the reasons why the Arkansas State game uh, was such a mess as you didn't have someone who was familiar with the play calls. Um, and then there is some level of science to it. You have to be able to anticipate what the other team is going to do, have the, the play set called uh, different blitz packages and different things like that. And we saw it just was a complete grease fire and certainly didn't need to be uh, you know, repeated in that, that way. Um, I can tell you, he's a primary on several guys, um, you know, top prospects, highly rated guys, um, that, that I've talked to and, and that, uh, basically will not sign in December. So, you know, if you do have uh, a situation where you move him on, you probably eliminate yourself, uh, for all intents and purposes for those kids. Um, so I think that's, that's something to look at as well. Uh, if you believe in continuity, um, and wanting, you know, basically to have, Basically, the staff intact uh, for really the first time under Coach Elliott. You know, there's been tremendous assistant coach changes. Um, so if you do have chalked this up, hey, it's a COVID year. Um, you know, bring him back and see how how he's going to uh, you know implement and continue to grow on the pressure and and also the takeaways as well. Because uh, that's the biggest thing that he's tried to preach forever is you know take the ball away and and they've done that this season. So uh, I certainly think there's an argument uh, to be made um, that things started to click late in the season. Yeah, I think with the finish to the season, I think he's back next year. Um, if, you know, if we just tailed off from the App State game and lost everything and the defense looked terrible, then you could start making an argument to, you know, have Fuquay move on. But we finished strong. Can't you can't you can't go against it. Yeah, I guess the perfect scenario would have been if he got hired away, like that way you don't have to worry about it, <laughs> but you still have to, you still have all the problems of replacing him and the recruiting aspects of it. But it's way better when, you know, someone is being successful and moves on because of, you know, greener pastures out there versus having to like, you know, kind of 
start from scratch and rebuild everything. So I think I, I agree. Uh, I don't know about whether or not he should come back or not. I feel like he will be. I think that he did a good enough performance at the end of the season. And then the Arkansas state game, like you said, he wasn't there play call in that game. And that was our, you know, really, you know, one of our worst performances. So it's obvious that when he's there, it's a better team than when he's not. Yeah. The last four games, I did the math on this. Uh, it was 22.25 points per game for the defense and 357 yards, both of which at the time I did the math, I don't know if this has changed since then would put the defense at fourth in the Sun Belt on defense. And aside from that, just 22 points allowed a game is a very good level. If that was a 12 game season, you'd be in the double digit win talk just on that alone. Cause um, that's the level you aspire to now. Obviously, if you average out the first five games, the number is a lot more ugly. And that's the number that's resembled what the defense has been in past years more than this number. But it's kind of hard just from a from my point of view. If you have that success at the end of the year, it feels like it's hard to sell other coaches who might want the job that, you know, like it feels like firing someone after that good success is a tough selling point for any future person because Obviously, they know there'll be expectations, but it feels like if you do that at the end of the year, you earn another shot. But of course, next year, if the season starts out and the defense is having some of the old issues crop up, then it's going to have to be a conversation that gets revisited. Sort of the selling point is going to have to be that this is the defense from now on. And so if you have some stumbling blocks in 2021, that's going to make it look really tricky. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the biggest thing ultimately, uh, again, if you have the key personnel back, you, you have all the playmakers back, um, there should be, there should be a raised level of expectation, uh, considering everyone knows the scheme, everyone knows the calls, there's not new guys potentially to integrate into this. And, uh, and if you do return, I mean, the vast majority of the two deep, depending on how many seniors that actually do, uh, not want to return. And as I was reminded uh, this weekend, you know, it's, it's free money for a lot of these guys. So they can go get a graduate degree um, and uh, play one more season. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, conversation happens, but there, there are, are no excuses uh, certainly. And as, as you mentioned, I mean, the finish was so strong. Um, that is the, now the expectation of why can't you replicate that level of success you know, defending um, an option team, you know, like, like Southern depending, you know, defending a wide open, um, you know, passing attack, like we saw earlier in the season as well. So, um, you know, the, the, the personnel may not change a ton. And if the coaching doesn't, then the expectation level should certainly raise. I think I have my answer to your question, Brady, now that we're, you know, have moved on from it uh, for several minutes. The moment that I'm going to remember most about this season is that we are, uh, we were one false positive test away from having oh. a 10 game season and get to play up in Charlotte. And uh, that really irks me that that happened. We missed out on that game because it could, it could have been a far different season uh, had we been able to play that game. Obviously we think that we had a good shot beating them and that once you get a win under your belt, that's more momentum going forward. So um yeah, easily could have gotten an eight-win season with the upset over Alabama. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, I still maintain they forfeited that game until we get that check. Until I see a deposit slip for that check, Alabama forfeited to Georgia State. They are now only uh, uh, two and one in the history uh, <laughs> record series. Yep. And we need to uh, figure out how to get Fuqua to coach remotely somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. 
it would have been basically last year. See, I mean, obviously just on the record, but assuming Murray state would have been a win, which I'm comfortable doing and Charlotte, I feel like could have been a likely win. Um, mm-hmm. In normal circumstances, maybe it's a little different, but I know at that point they were real low on, uh, like, I think they were fielding a pretty small team if the game had players now. Yep. And then if the Bama game happened, obviously it'd probably be a loss. Probably they'd cover because this is a really good Alabama team. But I wonder how different maybe perceptions if is if anyone is out there, you know, wondering how the year is, if it is seven and five rather than five and four, just because it seems like such a weird number. And it's, you look at other, you know, other years. Yeah. yeah. And having just one more win in that column just makes it look so much more attractive, uh, barely than just just eking out above 500 there. But also get to remember if we did play Bama, uh, we had no time to recover from that. We would have played Lafayette at home the very next week. And that's what I was scared about in the schedule. As soon as the, the Sun Belt came out with it is, you know, typically when you schedule these big payday games, especially against the, the, the big powerhouse teams, you want to have that week off uh, to give the guys a chance to come back. So I think, what was it? We played um, Oregon back when we yeah, did that, that was rough. seven years ago, eight years ago, whatever it was, this we had year. like no running. If we had to play a game the next week, we had like no running backs that were healthy or something like that because of how banged up they got playing because those physical guys out West. So, you know, blessing in disguise on Alabama, maybe had the full schedule been played. We don't look as good as we did uh, in that Lafayette game. True. I guess talking about that theme of like games we didn't play or didn't get to, I started looking at um, quad Brown, versus Dan Ellington in his first season, obviously three games not played. So it's not a complete, you know, comparison, but, you know, I was surprised to see that they looked somewhat comparable across the entire season at a 59% completion rate. And then I, you know, delved into the QB ratings, you know, quad was actually 132 and um, Ellington was 130 his first season. I thought, you know, I mean, quad had his misses during the season, missed some reads obviously i think you know some of the games i was watching there was people that are wide open he just was zoned in on some other portion of the field another player but you know for a redshirt freshman i thought he did a pretty good job and i kind of look forward to next year to seeing how he grows into a qb what do you think ben yeah no i agree and, and i think it's even kind of unfair you got to remember you know dan ellington had two years of junior college as well sure. so he, he was several years removed uh from the high school ranks um, and for, for quad, you almost have to measure him against Drew Little, which is not even really <laughs> level, so much different, uh, there as well. So we really didn't have anything to measure it. And, and he did miss throws, as you mentioned, miss guys that were open, miss, um, you know, relatively easy checks. And, but I think the, uh, you know, the thing that I keep, uh, you know, seeing is he would make a, a mistake, a really boneheaded, Hey, that's a freshman mistake. You can't do that. You can't make that throw. You can't take that sack. And then he'd have the bounce back. And I think that was the most impressive thing that I saw uh, out of him was just his poise and the way, you know, I go back to the East Carolina, you know, pick six on the first play of the game. And from that just hit the gas pedal and it was over, um, you know, it had a, you know, basically a, a near career day. Uh, look, look super poised again, you know, last Saturday against Southern threw, threw a really, really bad interception. Um, and I think that's something that he's going to have to continue to grow and learn, being able to learn, uh, when to throw the ball away. And, and I've even, you know, said in the RPO game, you know, he, he's missed some free opportunities to run. I think Dan Ellington was tremendous in doing that, picking his spots, knowing to pull it out of the running back's stomach there and take the four or five, six yards. 
just to keep the defense honest and, and, and freeze that defensive end. Uh, part of his experience, he didn't run this offense in high school. So, um, you know, just assuming and ex- expecting him to pick it up like magic wasn't going to be the easiest thing in the world. And, and, and Brad Glenn, quite honestly, throws a lot at you in this offense. You have a lot of reads. You have a lot of choices to make. Um, and if you, you unfortunately don't pick correctly, things can get funky in a hurry. Now, I know that if we ask Coach Elliott this question, he would say that everyone's competing for their starting job every single week. But uh, do you think there's a chance that Quad is not our starting quarterback come next year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's always a chance for it. I know the staff wants to take two quarterbacks this cycle. Um, that could include, you know, a transfer, an FBS transfer, as everyone's going to is expected to get a free year of eligibility uh, coming in as well, uh, a free transfer. So you you have uh, you have a lot of movement, a lot of potential attrition in the spring. Uh, we got reports as well as well about McKelly playing extremely well, and we know how many weeks he was behind uh, fighting COVID nineteen. Um, there early in fall camp, only had one day of practice. So um, I think that's an opportunity for, for him as well. Um, I know they're also looking at taking a development guy. If you, if you have a development guy that may, maybe picks this offense up or, or plays extraordinarily well, do you have that opportunity, uh, you know, chasing, chasing after a few guys right now um, on the quarterback side of things. So um, I think there's a lot of, uh, especially with the coaching turnover, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, you're going to have opportunities for quarterbacks who look around and say, I don't fit here. I don't fit the scheme. So maybe I need to look somewhere else. And, uh, you know, again, the, to the victor goes the spoils. I think certainly quads in the driver's seat, but, um, you know, having a played a full season in this, but I don't, I don't think anything's guaranteed uh, with, with that position because the coaching staff's going to say, look, I, my, my job is to win now and uh, when, you know, use the, have the best guy on the field. I'm all about consistency. And I think that's one thing that we've all said for several years is we've never had the same starting quarterback more than two seasons in a row, I believe. So getting a guy that could be there for four years, even three years would be awesome to to get that consistency, but it does sound like we have, you know, a lot of quality quarterback players out there, guys on the roster. So it's like, I don't know. Interesting to see what happens next season with that. Competition isn't a bad thing. No, not at all. So, you know, saying it isn't necessarily Quad's job being locked up says a lot about, because we've had not only the same like two year starter with quarterback at Georgia state, but it's also been, this is the starter. And if he gets hurt, there really isn't a better option. Um, Which was another point of, I think why it was always the same cycle. Cause there wasn't ever a guy that could break in and take over a job from a guy like Nick Arbuckle or, you know, even in like the in-between time in like 2013 started young quarterback, Ronnie Bell just didn't really work out. Um, but I'd say for me, I think at least half of the take the turnovers quad had were just stuff. Just like, don't throw that ball right there. And I think that I trust Brad Glenn and what he's done with quarterbacks over his career to clean some of that up, especially because I mean, we saw what Dan did in an off season, a full regular off season, with Brad Glenn at his OC becoming the quarterback into 2019 season. And so I would take the bet that he starts and could take an improvement because that's kind of been Brad Glenn's MO as a coach. Um, but like Ben said, I think that there's chances for the run game that got missed from the quarterback. And so I think whether it's more coaching he needs there, or if they bring in a guy who could maybe even just be like a gadget type runner to open up the running game a little bit to play some snaps um, I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Cause I think that 
the running game maybe took the slightest step back this year, just because quad wasn't Dan at that. And that's fine. Um, as a freshman who hadn't done it, you kind of expect that, but I, that would be where I would be interested to see. And Dan had some freak show talent when it came to being able to run the ball, you know, so there's yeah. some things cannot just be duplicated. It's just, you know, innate born in ability. Like quad had some flashes. I think it's more just the feel of doing the actual running that offense and doing the, seeing those looks and making the right read and stuff. Cause I mean, what would against Arkansas state, he had that, uh, like 35 yard run where he, I think he like dove in the end zone. Right. He showed the athleticism some, um, I think they probably want to get him a little bit bigger and more in like a mold of like, I mean, Cam Newton's the obvious big tall quarterback. And I'm not saying like, he's going to be Cam Newton, but like something more in that size as a archetype. I like that, but it's a good thing that we have a lot of quarterbacks on the roster then because, you know, looking at the way that Southern plays their ball, when you put your quarterback out there like that, there's just so many chances of getting injured and, you know, running the ball for a quarterback is a great way to, you know, keep defenses honest and everything, but I would much rather have a quarterback I, I can rely on just to drop back and toss the ball off and not take big hits, uh, consecutive plays in one drive. My opinion. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about picking your spots too. I think this this offense works extremely well when you do have a quarterback that knows how to run. And, and you know, I, I went back sort of like Tim and, and compared, you know, Dan's rushing attempts. And Dan did rush a ton. And there were also opportunities on the on the other side where he took the ball on an RPO situation where he probably shouldn't. He should have handed it off and you know, let, let the running back do the work. Um, I think the biggest thing that we saw this year too, in the running game, you didn't have a, a explosive, you know, home run hitter. Um, and I think that changes uh, quite a bit next year with the two additions that will be coming in, um, you know, it, 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 from the running game, you know, you, Trey Barnett was such a dynamic runner in, in open space. Uh, and you also had a guy like Seth Page who you desperately missed this season. You had guys who were the, the more the banger backs, Tucker Gregg and, and Destin Coates, um, you know, and Marcus Carroll is more that same way, kind of bigger, uh, you know, not a burner necessarily. And, and that's what really made this offense. I mean, you, you saw it at, at times in 2019 where stuff just wasn't happening at all. And then just Trey would explode and 50 yards later, he was in the end zone. That's, that was one certainly area that was missing this season for sure. Yeah, I'll be the first to admit that I undersold what losing Trey would mean to the offense. Because I was like, it's a good group of running backs. They'll be fine. But he really was that guy in 2019. Yeah. It was fun to watch last year. A lot of fun to watch. So thanks again to the State of Atlanta guys and Ben Moore for joining us on the Georgia State Football Roundtable. It's always fun to collaborate with those guys, so be on the lookout for part two coming on State of Atlanta's feed shortly. Should be up by the time this podcast goes live. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.